All right. Good morning, church family. You guys doing all right today? Good to see you. Good to see you. Uh, we've had an amazing week, prayer and fasting. Uh, those of you who might be visiting today, we, we set aside at least a week every year uh, just to seek the Lord, make sure that our year is dedicated to Him. And so I've been hearing from a lot of you telling me about your fast. And I know a lot of people fast a lot of different things. People are fasting chocolate and people fasting uh, TV and caffeine. We know who those people are. It's really clear who those people are. And, and uh, man, it's been an amazing week. I want to especially thank everybody who is here in the mornings and in the evenings. We have more people in the mornings, more people in the evenings than we've ever had before. And uh, had two amazing services on Tuesday and Wednesday. And I want to appreciate everybody who drove both to Conway and to Little Rock uh, to hear. How many of you guys were able to make to one of those services? Pastor Larry, okay, a bunch of you. Thank you guys for making that drive. I know you don't regret it. Uh, it was an amazing teaching on prayer, just the nuts and bolts of prayer and structure of prayer, the importance of it. And uh, I know that, that everyone that heard that is going to help you in your life. And we're going to be intentional about getting that content information to everyone else as well. Um, but God is moving. And I just sense in my spirit that he's up to something. He wants to do something new. He wants to do something powerful. And I know you might hear that from pastors and preachers. And it may just sound like rhetoric. But I'm just telling you, I'm sensing in my spirit that God is positioning us and prepping us and, uh, for something amazing this year. And, and, I, and I, th I know it's going to involve souls. I know it's going to involve breakthrough. I know it's going to involve freedom in people's lives. It's going to involve change. And uh, we're starting this series today about change. I find as a culture that we can be pretty fixated on change. Uh, some areas we want change, some areas we don't want change. Uh, there's on social media, you can constantly see the, the, the fixation. Right now, I don't know anybody who's been fast in social media. I just want to let you know you weren't missing out on much. Uh, because the big thing right now on Facebook, people are going crazy over how hard the, the time between your first Facebook posts and your most recent Facebook picture, profile picture, how hard did it hit you? And so people are posting on this. And I think the reason why we're doing this is because it is interesting to us to see how we've changed or haven't changed. And let's just be honest in all of our hearts. When we post these pictures, we want somebody, especially the ladies in the house, you want somebody to comment, oh, you haven't aged a day, girl. Oh, my goodness. Oh, you look even younger now. You look fantastic, all right? That's the reason why we're posting all this stuff. So I don't usually get into all that. I don't usually do all that. But I did one this time just to show, like, how, how time <laughs> has impacted me in my life. And uh, so I know what you're thinking. There's no way I could grow that beard. And you're right. There's no way I could grow that beard. I had somebody say, I'm not sure Cody will really appreciate that picture. And, and uh, all I can say is love covers a multitude of posts. And we got a lot of love in my family, and I'm thankful for that. But, but we, we do, we like change. We like change in some areas. We don't like change in other areas. And uh, I love talking to, to, to new couples, and especially couples that, that don't have kids, because they, they talk about these changes that they're never going to change. They're going to keep being the same. Even when they have kids, they're, they're still going to be, there's some things. They'll say things like this, and all of us have probably had a phrase like this. How many of you ever said, well, I'll never, and then you fill in the blank. So people get newly married, don't have kids, and when they, when they first get married, they see people having kids. Some, sometimes we judge. We do that. I did that. Before we had kids, we judged. We were looking at other people and their kids, throwing fits in restaurants and stuff. We're like, my kids will never act like that in public. Oh, my goodness. I'm just telling you right now. Right? We, and, and we say stuff like, like you, you look at somebody and they're, they're just surviving. They're just trying to make it in life, like not to, to not die, you know, raising their kids. But you, but you can judge them and you can be like super healthy and everything. And you'll be like, I will never feed my kids chicken nuggets. I'll never do that. No, no, it'll always just be grass-fed chicken uh, from the fields, open range, everything. Uh, that's just the way we're going to live. But how many of y'all know you making some chicken nuggets now that you have some kids? How many of y'all been feeding your kids some chicken nuggets? Come on now. Because you just got to do that sometimes. We make promises, though. We, we don't want, want change. How many of y'all ever said, I will never drive a minivan? How many of y'all ever said, I'll never drive a minivan? How many of y'all wind up driving a minivan, though? Okay. You know why? Because they're amazing. Because you got a key fob that can open every door on that vehicle. We went to an SUV. Guess what? We're thinking about going back to the minivan. That's right. 
because change happens. But it seems like change can happen in a lot of areas, and there's other areas where we want something to change, and then it doesn't. We're desperate for it. It seems like with a lot of the surface things in life, we can see a lot of change and change happening. But then on the really important things, the deeper things, a lot of times we want to see change and it seems like we never see the change. And that's what this series is about. We're doing this real change series. And what, really what this is, is this is some content that's, that's out of some curriculum that we do in some of our life groups or our small groups that we have as a church. And I want to let you know, you are not going to get everything out of this series that we're speaking on Sunday morning. But we are pointing it towards a lot of people getting plugged in and involved in our real change groups that we're going to be doing when we do our life group launch and kicking into the semester. And I want to strongly encourage you to consider and pray about being involved with one of these groups. We're just going to be scratching the surface because sometimes, here's the deal, sometimes it takes some time and it takes a lot of understanding and a lot of getting knowledge to clear up the different areas of our life where we may struggle to identify the roots, to identify all the different ways that maybe we've allowed the enemy or just allowed ourselves, allowed our emotions to get wrapped up around some thinking that isn't God, that isn't his word, that isn't his will. So it takes some time to unpack that. God can set anybody free in an instant, but sometimes it takes us a while to finally get to that place. We'll release that. And so we're going to be talking through this series and we're also going to just encourage as many of you as possible. First of all, you got to have a life group you got to be plugged into biblical community, but to also encourage you to check out one of these real real change groups because I, I think it can really, really help you. But what we're going to talk about today is the fact that there are a lot of people that are saved, but they're not free. And, and, and I think that, that some of you, man, it's like, man, that, that's an oxymoron. You can't say that. No, I, I think I can. Because what I find, I spend most of my time Counseling Christians, (laughs) okay? Like, I wish I spent all my time counseling lost people. They're way easier to counsel than Christians. I just want to let you know that right now. But I spend a lot of my time counseling Christians. And most of the time, the thing that I'm counseling them about is something that they're not free in. So they're saved, but not free. So the title of the sermon today is Saved and Also Free. Because that's what God would have for us. It says this in Galatians 5.1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Now, that sounds redundant. Like, why are you saying that over and over again? It's the very purpose of why we've got to look at this subject today. Stand firm them and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Okay, the yoke of slavery is talking about sin. It's talking about these habits and this repetition and these patterns that we get in with our thinking and with our actions. The yoke of slavery, the yoke, that's not like egg yoke. The yoke is something that they put between two oxen that would pull a load. And it was a big, thick piece of wood that would keep these two oxen tied closely together. And so there's a great picture in that. Look, that's what sin does to you. It puts you under a load and gets you tied to something you're not supposed to be tied to on a path you're not supposed to be walking. So it's saying, don't go back to that. But it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Meaning, look, God wants to set you free. Jesus wants to be your Savior, but he also wants to be your Lord and for you to walk in freedom as a believer. But so often people don't walk in the full freedom that God has for them. There's been seasons of my life where I definitely didn't either. So how do we not return again to the yoke of slavery and sin? How do we not do that? First of all, you got to remember, the Father loves you. We have to start there. We have to start there. Pastor Larry, one of the things that he taught us about this last week, he talks about different structures of prayer. So he uh, taught us about uh, the Jabez prayer and the tabernacle prayer. And these are just prayers that you use them structurally to help you have a guide for how you can pray, how you can just talk about your life and God's will and and other people and and, and all the different subjects that you would want to talk to God about. Because sometimes when we were praying, it's like, man, I don't even know what to say right now. So he was talking about these. But one of the prayers he talked about is he talked about the Trinity prayer. And this is just talking about how we serve a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, where they are one God, but they have different functions within who they are that helps us. He was talking about, look, you can talk about how you need the Holy Spirit. You can talk about how you need Jesus to save you, but it has to start with your Father. 
It has to start with you accepting and believing, even if it's just in faith sometimes. Because sometimes my head doesn't see it, my head doesn't believe it, but my heart's got to long for and desire and accept that I have a heavenly Father who loves me. And you think about when Jesus taught his disciples how to pray in the Lord's Prayer. What does it start with? It doesn't start with our judge that is in heaven. It doesn't even start with our provider that is in heaven. Those are things that God exists to do. But it starts with our Father who art in heaven. Our Father. It has to start there. Can you believe and accept that you are loved by your heavenly Father? Because if you can't, Get that. The truth is you won't get the rest of the sermon. You won't get the rest of the series. And it's one of the things that will keep you from being free. You have to know that there is a heavenly father that loves you. He loves you. And if you don't know that, then you'll have a hard time even talking to him. One of the reasons why we have a difficult time with this is because we haven't always had a good physical representation of what a father should be. I get that. I love my dad. He's a man of God. He's a man of faith. He had his own hurts. He had his own issues. And sometimes his hurts and his issues kept him from, from loving us the way he always wanted to. I mean, he's, he's come back and he's repented for any of those things. He's, but, but I understand that sometimes how we look at not just our fathers, but even just authority, especially spiritual authority, how we look at them can affect the way we would see God. And so you may feel like, well, I don't even, I'm not even convinced God wants to hang out with me. And if you're not convinced that God wants to hang out with you, then how can you pray? Because it's the Father God that can come and nudge you sometimes to have conversation with him. But if you're not convinced that he loves you, then you just won't even sense it when he's saying, I just want to hang out with you. I just want to spend time with you. So some verses about the, the Father's love in 1 John 3, 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us. I mean, look how colorful the language is in that. Like, look, this is, this is a real and genuine love that we should call, that we should be called children of God. Your sons and daughters. This is the way he sees you, and that's what we are. Psalm 86, 5, you, Lord, are forgiving and good, abounding in love to all who call on you. But if you don't know he loves you, you may not call on him. He loves you. And then in Romans 8, 37, now we've seen this scripture before, but this is what I want you to do before we look at this scripture. I want you to think about in your mind, take a, take a kind of a, a look at your whole life and the mistakes you've made, that even the good things that you've done. I don't want you to think, man, what would be the one thing that would separate me from having a heavenly father that loves me? And I want to, I wanna, as we read through this verse, I want you to see, can I find anything? Is there something that does make me an exception to the rule of God's love? Is there something that makes me an exception? This is the word of God. This is all true or it's all fake. And we choose to believe that it's true. So this is what it says. In all. Well, that covers it. But let's keep going. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, and other translations that talks about the demonic there, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You gotta know that your Father loves you. Look, how many of you as parents, you love being around your kids? You love being able to spend time with them? Okay, well, let's be honest. We don't always want to. We don't always want to, okay, because we're flawed as, as parents. But I will say this. I don't know many parents that wouldn't say, I want my kids to want to hang out with me. Like, I want my kids to want to hang out with me. How desperate are we sometimes to, to, to be in a place 
that our kids would want to hang out with us. That's why, that's why it gets a little bit scary, right? When our kids start to change and they go from being little kids and they think we're just like the heroes of the world and they look up to us and, and they think that we can't make any mistakes and we know everything. And then you add the word teen in there and all of a sudden it's like my parents know nothing and they're embarrassing. And, and at that point in their lives, it's scary as parents because it's like, oh my gosh, <laughs> They used to love me, and now I don't know. And so we do anything to try to spend time with them. How many of you guys remember Pokemon on the go? Okay, here's the deal. You have middle-aged people in their car driving all over this city at all kinds of hours of the day trying to capture imaginary monsters on their phone just so they could spend some time with their kids. Because we're just, we just love that. We're desperate for it. My favorite thing that happened this last week during prayer and fasting is we had prayer times in the morning here at the church. And so I just said my, to my kids, say, hey, I love it. If you guys want to come with me, even if one, each of you just pick a morning, you just come with me in the morning to come and pray. And, and so they did, like willingly. <laughs> uh, they picked a morning, each one of them. And so I didn't have all of them at the same time, but I had one for, for four mornings, one for each of those mornings. And because I will tell you this, as much as I want my kids to hang out with me, I want my kids to hunger and thirst for the presence of God. But I know I've got to demonstrate it. I know I've got to show them. And so I, so I had them up, man. And I just want to let you know, like, this is not me saying, because you may be saying, well, you're the pastor. I'm sure the pastor's kids want to come and pray. Don't get me wrong. They weren't up in here prophesying over people and, you know, like singing songs of worship and all that kind of stuff. Like, it was tough. It wasn't like the easiest thing in the world. And they weren't like super engaged the whole time. But, but one of the mornings, my youngest son, Reeves, he was here with me. And, uh, and I was just spending a little bit of time during that, just, just praying over them. So I came over and sat next to him, and I just was praying over him and just declaring the promises of God. Just I want to let you know that, that as a pastor, I have some of the same insecurities any other parent has. And that is, man, will my kids follow God? Please, Jesus, help. Please, God, give them a heart, give them a desire. Let them know that it's real and let them pursue you. So I'm just praying over my son Reeves and I'm, I'm pretty passionate and I can see like, I'm just looking out of the corner of my eye and I can see he's like getting kind of, like he seems like he's getting emotional a little bit. And I'm like, man, this prayer is really good. This is awesome. And, and so I stopped a little bit. I say, hey, Reeves, are you okay, man? You, you good? He's like, no, dad, your breath is horrible. <laughs> he looks up, he's weeping. Holy Spirit was like, <laughs> flew right out of the room. I'm desperate though. You have to know that your heavenly father wants to be near you. He wants you to want to be near him too. And he wants you to be free. Galatians 4, 5, it says, because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, like this is, this is, this is how your heavenly father wants to have a relationship with you. So where you would call on him like this, Abba, Father, that word Abba, it's translated into Daddy. Whatever the most endearing term is that you would associate with a loving child calling a loving father, that's what this is saying. That's the kind of relationship and communication he wants to have. Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And since you're a son, God has made you also his heir. This is good news, people. Because Jesus doesn't just save you. He doesn't just give you a purpose and a calling. You are heirs with Jesus to the kingdom of God. So whether you see yourself this way or not, the word declares that we are seated in heavenly places alongside Jesus. Look, God doesn't look at you as less than Jesus. He looks at you as the same. He sees you as he sees his son, Jesus. And he loves Jesus. He loves Jesus with everything. There's a great picture of this, like how sometimes our approach to God, either we don't, 
we don't believe how much he wants to be around us or we, we don't think that he has what's best for us. So we just don't, we don't spend the time. Like we may have this, con- yeah, God loves me, but you know what? I'm just not so sure. Like I think I might know a little better. The prodigal son was like that. So one day the prodigal son comes to his father and he uses these words, give me. Give me my inheritance. Give me my inheritance because I, I, I don't think you know what's best. I think I have a better idea of what I need, what's going to fulfill me. And so he went and he tried and squandered it, lost it all. <laughs> Had to come to a low place, humility. So then he comes back to his dad. And then the word says that while he was still a long ways off, the father saw him and ran to him. That is the father heart of God. He runs he runs up to him. The language that the son used at that point was a lot different because the language he used at that point was, make me. Make me. He says, just make me, even if you just make me a servant in your house, if you would just do anything just to be, because I realize that there's nothing like your love. If you would just make me, and, I, and I, that convicts me because sometimes I get so busy coming to God saying, give me, when so many of my prayers need to just be, God, just make me. Just make me what you need me to be. I'm not going to think that I know what I need. I'm just going to ask you to make me who I need to be. Because if you'll make me who I need to be, guess what? Everything else will be added unto me. But I've got to seek him first. Number two, know the word to stand on. Know the word to stand on. So there's two words for the word in the word. Not confusing at all, I know. But in the original language, when it's talking about the word of God, there's two separate words that are used with two different meanings. One of the words is the word logos. Okay, this is just the written word. It's logos. It's what's written down. And then the other word is the word rhema. And that word talks about personal revelation of the logos. In other words, it's when it goes from just being written to becoming personal revelation. And I'm going to say something that sounds irreverent or unbiblical, but this is powerless unless it has rhema. If this is just logos, look, I'm saying you could, you could even know all of this, but if you don't have a personal revelation of how it helps you, of how it sanctifies you, of how it heals you, of how it changes you, of how it sets you free, if you don't have a personal revelation of how this is God's love letter written for you and your life and not just another story and not just a bunch of rules and not just something that's keeping you from having fun, but it's what's gonna set you free and give you life and life to the full until you have rhema, until you have a personal revelation of what this means, it is powerless. The enemy doesn't mind you having a Bible. The enemy could care less if you have a Bible. He loves that you have eight of them on the shelf covered in dust. He loves that. He don't care a bit. He also doesn't care if you're religious. He doesn't care if you know all of this. And know the Greek and the Hebrew can argue apologetics till you're blue in the face. If you don't have a personal revelation of how it changes you and you live a life that helps other people see the love of God in you that changes them, then he doesn't care. It's powerless. God wants you to have a revelation of it that you can stand on. That you can stand on. There's nothing powerful about it until it's known. Till it's known, John 8, 32. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. It doesn't say the truth will set you free. It says you gotta know it. It's knowing it that sets you free. And I'll have people quote that around me sometimes. Well, the truth will set you free and I don't wanna be that guy. It's like, well, actually it says you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. You have to have a personal connection with this. It needs to be real for you. 
Pastor Larry was teaching about the power of, of this rhema knowledge, this personal revelation, and how great of a weapon it is. He talked about, look, if you went into a boxing ring, and across the ring was this person that was twice your size, and bowed up and intimidating, you would be in trouble unless you had the knowledge that that person is blind and can't see a thing. All of a sudden, that changes the fight because it means it doesn't matter how big and intimidating they may look, no matter how big their voice is and how boast their claim is, you know they're blind and you can beat them. And that's a great picture for exactly what you deal with when you're dealing with the enemy because he has very poor vision. For the most part, he can only see backwards. That's the only place he has even remotely clear vision is into your past where he camps out as the accuser of the brethren. But as soon as you start talking about God's promises, as soon as you start reminding him of his future, you've got him beat because there's nothing he can do about that because he's blind to it. If you were behind bars in a cell, locked in there, that would be a very difficult place to be until you read the sign that was over on the wall that said all locks are clap on, clap off locks. All of a sudden that would change your life. How many of y'all remember the commercial? Clap on, clap off. Oh, some of you are participating. Thank you for doing that. <laughs> I just wanna let you know that that just a little bit of knowledge makes some of the most difficult places you've ever been in your life as simple as clap on, clap off, if you can have some revelation about it. Have a word that you can stand on. So many times, man, we're full of fear, different things, but fear exists where there is a knowledge. As soon as you know, it's not scary. I remember growing up, I, I, I lived in Colorado, which I loved watching Jaws because I didn't live anywhere near the ocean. So I knew Jaws can't hurt me. He ain't around. But whatever your greatest fear is, sometimes you have these nightmares, right? So if you have a fear of, of heights, your, your greatest nightmare is falling and keep falling and, 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 stop, and you can't ever stop falling. So you'll wake up. Elevated heart rate, cold sweat, freaking out for a second until you realize I'm not falling. And the knowledge of that helps you and sets you free. There's so many things that we, we create that this can help us with. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse well, starting in verse 3, but in verse 4 it says, The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. So many times we're wielding natural weapons in a supernatural battle. It just doesn't help. Number three, do not be deceived about your freedom. Don't be deceived about your freedom. This is where a lot of us can live. Last week I talked about the Israelites. The fact that they had been in captivity for 400 years in Egypt. And God sets them free from slavery. Brings them in the wilderness to connect with him. And at first they loved it. Like, yes, it's so good to be back with our God. And all this is great. But in almost no time at all. They got completely consumed with their natural surroundings. And they, had a, they had an opportunity to go to the mountain of God and hear from him, to hear his voice. But in a very little amount of time at all, they forgot that God had saved them from the whips and the beating and making bricks and the abuse. When times got hard in the desert, they stopped hearing the sounds. They, they forgot about the sounds of slavery and captivity. And got consumed with complaining. And refused to hear the voice of God. It says in Exodus 16.3, The Israelites said to them, 
If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate food we wanted. But you've brought us out into this desert to starve the entire assembly to death. I'm not trying to be sarcastic, but this is just how ridiculous it is. Like, what? You were beat and abused for 400 years. And now you're complaining because you don't have meat stew? God was providing for them. God was providing for them. Whether it was through a sea or over a mountain or through a wilderness or through a desert. He gave them a cloud by day so they wouldn't burn up. Look, the weather in Israel is manic. Like, it's it, it hot during the day and cold at night. So at the day, they, he gave them a cloud, shade. And at night, he gave them fire. And he fed them manna from heaven. They complained about that. Manna, manna again. God. So they went forest Gump on that manna. They had manna stew. They had manna soup. They had... Broiled manna, they had fried manna, they tried everything. They had the real bougie Israelites wanting gluten-free manna and all that stuff. Like, oh. Is this manna organic, God? I get some of it. Look, after this week of prayer and fasting, look, I get it. Look, my flesh, I want to chew on some meat. I want, I want, like, you know it's bad when you go into a gas station and you see the heat lamp food. Man, I could go for some heat, lit, heat lamp cooked taquitos right now. I'll tell you that right now. They, they look like they've been in there for about three days, but I would eat them up right now. Mmm, so I get it. But why? It's your better God. Nothing can sustain me like you. He set them free. He took them out of Egypt, but Egypt was still in their hearts. And so they missed the Savior. They missed him. God just wanted to talk to them. He wanted to communicate with them. He was desperate for it to happen, so desperate that he didn't let them take a seven-day trip like it was supposed to take kept him there for 40 years walking in circles. Desperate to get them to a place. Will you stop focusing on the natural and start letting me love you as your supernatural God and let me really set you free. They stopped listening. They started complaining. And God kept providing over and over again. When you stop loving the word and you stop loving God, you stop loving the body. When you start forsaking the gathering of the saints, you will think that the best taste of life is when you were on your own and away from God. And I'm so thankful there's been seasons where God has just taken me. And maybe you've experienced this too. Like everybody, anybody ever just take a walk down memory lane and go back to some places you, were, you grew up in? You know? Drive by an old bar. Drive by an old hangout. Oh, that house, man. Some parties went down in that house. And you just think about, man. But I know what happens with me. Look, every once in a while, I get a chance. I'll go back to some of those places I, I grew up in. Man, I just, I think about the shame. I think about the condemnation I was walking in in that season. I think about how, how confused I was how insecure I was trying to get people to approve of me. My main struggle when I was growing up through high school was I, I was just so desperate to be affirmed by people. And, and, and what it led to is a lot of inappropriate relationships with girls. That was my struggle. I wasn't actually a big partier. I didn't drink. I didn't do drugs and stuff like that. My big struggle was I just, I liked having a t attention and I especially loved having attention from girls. And so I, I, I would compromise. I, I would sin to get that affirmation, to get that attention. 
And of course, it just was a cycle. You're never fulfilled in that. You're never fulfilled in that. It's just a cycle. You're stuck in it. And then you're dealing with the shame and the guilt and the condemnation. And it's a horrible place to live. But sometimes we think that what we need and what we can feed on is going to be better than what God can give us. It says in John 6, 25, then Jesus declared, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Man, when I finally got to that place, man, when God set me free from all that, man, I am free. I'm, I'm so free. I'm like, I'm on the other end of it now. I can't, I'm not even comfortable being alone in, a, in the same room as a woman that's not my wife. Like, I, get, I just get antsy. Like, I'm just like, I got to get out of here. I got to, I don't even want to be around this right now. Like, I, I love, and, and I love, my wife prays people out of my life all the time. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm completely convinced of that. Like, she, <laughs> I feel bad for any woman that wants to try to infringe on our wedding <laughs> or on our, on our marriage because, my goodness. But I, I love this uh, so it doesn't, and it really doesn't happen very often because, like I said, my wife prays them out of my life. But every once in a while, some will happen where, where, where some, I'll say lady, uh, girl will come along. And I remember we were flying into L.A. for a vacation this a uh, couple years ago. And, and for some reason, our tickets got messed up and Cody and I weren't sitting next to each other. She was like six rows back. So we weren't sitting, and I was sitting by myself, and I was on the aisle row, aisle seat. And one of the stewardesses comes up and hands me a piece of paper and says, my friend wanted me to give you this. So I, uh, I start shaking in my chair. And I open it up, and there was an, a girl's name and her phone number says, hey, call me while you're in L.A. I'd love to hang out. And I'm like, Cody! <laughs> Cody! Like, I think I literally said her name out loud. Like, I'm, but we're starting to land. So I got my seatbelt buckled, and I'm like, I don't want to get arrested by the sky marshal, so I got to stay in my seat. But I'm like looking over my shoulder, and I'm like paranoid. I'm like, oh, where, where's my wife at? I tell you what, I could not wait to get out of my chair, get my seatbelt off. I went to Cody, and I handed her that piece of beer. I, I, they gave it to me. <laughs> and I, I couldn't move. I had my seatbelt on because they said... Don't remove your seatbelts, and I'm going to obey the law. And, but, but she, I don't even know. My phone was off. It was in airplane mode, like they told me to do. So just want to let you know, there it is. And then I think I just ran. Like I, <laughs> because when you're set free, you run from sin. You can't stand to be around it because you've tasted and seen that God is so good and nothing can compare to him because he's the bread of life. You run from sin. Man, I'm running out of time. You guys good? In Mark chapter five, there's this story. I mean, I don't even have the chapter right. There's a story about the, the, the demoniac and the, and the story is this. Jesus is with his disciples, hanging out around a crowd. He says, hey, we're, we're going to be done here. We're going to get in a boat. We're going to go across the sea. They go across the sea, go through a storm, get to the other side. And there's this man there. And depending on what account you read, it's a man and a woman, or there's two people or, or one person. But, but most accounts say one person. This man, the demoniac, that's like his name. <laughs> Why? Because he was consumed with demons. And this man had been living in a cemetery, running around, buck naked, cutting himself in horror and terror. Like, like the, the horror movies that some of you guys will watch. I just encourage you maybe to change that, by the way. But, but the, the, just the evilness you can feel, like people that are, are mutilated. And, and like this is where this guy lived. This is who he was. And it says that when they got to the other side of the sea, this man came out and threw himself at the feet of Jesus and then it says that Jesus had a conversation with the demons. And, he, and, and this, this man threw himself down and 
the spirit in him, the evil spirit in him says, what do you want with us? What do you want with me? And Jesus said, what's your name? And the evil spirit responds with, legion, for we are many. And then Jesus says, get out of him. Get out. And he sends the demons into this flock of pigs. And I, there's some theology there. I've got to rec, you know, reconcile my own heart with Razorback fans and all that. But all the pigs, <laughs> all, the, all the pigs run into the sea. And they all die. And the village that knew about this guy, look, they had been dealing with this guy his whole life. I and mean, he's been bound up with demons. They tried to put him in chains. he just break him right off causing all kinds of problems. Well, they hear about the pigs running the sea. They come out and they see this guy walking around in his right mind, dressed, totally healed and set free. So uh, there's some observations that I've made about this story. First of all, you ain't that messed up. That's the first observation. You ain't that messed up. Look, you may feel like your marriage is a wreck. You may feel like your life is a wreck. You may feel like this addiction has got you beat. You may feel like your kids are just in full-out rebellion and it's your fault. You may feel like your whole life is messed up. You ain't this messed up. Because let's just, let's just be realistic about it. At least you got clothes on. Turn to your neighbor and say, thank you for dressing today. I think it's a good thing. Our dress code here at New Life Church is yes, please. Just put something on. Like, we don't care what it is, just wear something. So you may got up and put your clothes on, and you may be 30 years in the past in your style, but at least you put some clothes on. Because the one thing that we got that is a good thing out of the fall of man is clothing. It is a good thing that we got that. I'm so thankful for that because let's just, and I've said it before, but just keep in mind, somebody sat in that seat before you. Okay, we'll move on. But, but, but this guy is messed up. And I'll have people come to me every once in a while like, Pastor James, like, man, do you think there's any way? Like, you don't know, man. Let me tell you about, let me tell you about this situation. Let me tell you about my marriage. Let me tell you about my kid. Let me tell you about my addiction. Let me tell you about my sin. Let me tell you about this. Do you think there's any, yeah, man, have you, any, have you ever heard anything so messed up in your life? Do you think there's any way that God can possibly set me free? And I'm like, yep, there's a dude in the Bible. <laughs> he was so messed up. He ran around naked all the time. <laughs> And you got your clothes on, so we got a good start to this whole thing. I promise none of you that the, the word legion, it's over 6,000. 6,862, I believe, is the exact number. So there's at least that many demons in this man. Whew, you ain't that messed up. Observation number two, Jesus isn't impressed with Satan. He's not impressed with him. These demons tell Jesus their name, like trying to intimidate him. We are legion, for we are many. And it was a Roman term, military term. Jesus knew exactly how many that was. He, he didn't even blink an eye. He just said, out, get out, go, get out. I can't get into all this, but... In the Bible, it says that at one point or another, Jesus is just going to have it. He's just going to be fed up with Satan. And he's just going to turn to his angels and he's going to say, go get Satan and throw him in the lake of fire. Satan. Okay, none of you guys are dealing with Satan himself. He's not omnipresent. He has a bunch of cohorts, but you're not dealing with him. He's over in the Middle East. He's got bigger fish to fry. You're dealing with one of his minions, potentially. But he's going to tell the angels... Hey, go get Satan and throw him in the lake of fire. And I just picture Michael, he's just like, okay, Jesus, we'll do that. Um, who should we send? I think Jesus is going to be like, I don't care. Send the new guy, whoever. It don't matter. It don't matter who it is. Just send him in my name. Because at his name, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and below. Every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Every. Jesus is not impressed with Satan. It's not a big deal for God to set you free. He wants to. I think we give Satan too much credit sometimes. 
like, man, just what the devil's just done is just so awful. I don't think it can ever be reversed. This dude, in a matter of minutes, totally set free, healed, and restored. Another observation, no one can stop you from worshiping God but you. No one can stop you from worshiping God but you because it says that this man came and threw himself at the feet of Jesus. In other words, with his gripped with demons and oppression and a stronghold in his life as he was, this man still threw himself in worship at the foot of Jesus. He still did that. I don't care how messed up you are, nobody can stop your worship but you. You're the only one that can do that. And you have to understand this. It's the key to you being truly free. It's your worship. No matter what it is, it could be hurt or addiction or bitterness, pornography, some other sin, habitual sin that's keeping you bound up in your stronghold. But you can still choose to worship. But the lie is this. The lie is that you can be in a room like this and feel like that this big stronghold, that word stronghold, it just means to be locked up in. It means to be locked up in. And that's really what we're talking about. All of us have some area somewhere in our life where we feel locked up in it. We feel locked up in it and we feel like God can't get in. God can get in it in a heartbeat. But he designed it for us to choose to let him. And one of the ways that we declare we're choosing God is through our worship. We're choosing. Because you get set free in any place that God is the Lord over. Your worship declares what he's over. That's what your worship does. Now, I'm not, I want you to understand, I'm not asking you to get all flamboyant in your worship. I'm not asking you to start making big motions and gestures. And, and I went to a church where there was a cartwheel lady and she freaked me out during praise and worship. She do cartwheels down the aisle. I'm like, somebody need to arrest that chick. Like it was distracting. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying in all your life, in every area of your life, with your kids, with your business, with your finances, you will be set free in any area where God is clearly lifted high and worshiped in. You want to experience freedom, start worshiping. Start worshiping. And you'll begin to experience freedom. And nothing, nothing can stop you except you. You can stop you. I think it's really important that you stop talking to God about the strongholds of your life and you start talking to the strongholds about your God. Because so often we're just like, God, it's the same thing over and over again. We don't understand the authority that we have in the Son of God, in His name and in His blood. And so often we're just like, oh, why can't I get through this? It's because we haven't addressed it. We, hasn't, we haven't worshiped God and we haven't told our struggle where we're going to stand. Stop telling God about your stronghold. Start telling your stronghold about your Jesus. Spirit of anxiety and depression, meet my Savior. Spirit of poverty, meet my Jesus. Spirit of addiction, meet my Savior. Spirit of divorce, meet my God of reconciliation. Spirit of sickness, meet my God of healing. And don't forget to thank him for it. Because that's the thing. Like God is, he's hooked you up. Marcus Brown, one of the craziest campus pastors we had, he told us this story this last week. He went to a coffee, he was at a coffee shop. Because uh, all of us campus pastors are addicted to coffee. And, and he's at a coffee shop and he's sitting there and he sees this young man come walking in, teenage. And uh, he comes walking in, you can tell he's kind of nervous. And he sits down, and then a little bit later, he sees this car pull up, and this young lady, this teenage girl, gets out and walks in. And, and then as soon as he sees her walking in, like he kind of perks up a little bit, and you realize, oh, he's waiting on her. Like they're going like on a date or something. And, and so she comes in, and she sits down, and, and uh, she says, oh, thank you so much. I was so glad you wanted to hang out. I really need to talk to you about some stuff. And this young man says, hold on a second. And he takes out his phone, and he turns it off. 
and he puts it away. He said, I can tell what you're getting ready to tell me is really important. I want you to have my undivided attention. Mark is like, this boy got some game. <laughs> Good Lord. And a little bit later, she got up to go get her coffee. And so Mark's like, hey, mother, come on now. That was a great move. He's like, I know. I didn't even think about it. But my dad had told me about it before. And I just remembered it right then. And that's when I did it. I think it was really good. And so she comes back over and they're holding hands and she's talking about this problem in her life. And so later on, before he left, he, Marcus just said, hey, don't forget to thank your dad for hooking you up with that advice. Don't forget just to thank God. Because he hooked you up. He's given you his word. He's given you freedom. How do you get free? First of all, you got to admit your stronghold. You got to admit it. It's got to start there. You got to hunger for change. How bad do you want it? How bad do you want it? But we have to acknowledge where we're at. How many of you guys appreciate navigation systems? Amen. How many of y'all would just honestly admit right now that it has helped your marriage to have a navigation system? Okay, I'll be the first one to raise my hand. I know for a fact that thing has helped my marriage. It has helped me. But here's the thing. A navigation system will only work if it has two things. It's got to know where you're going, and it's got to know where you're at. You cannot get to where God wants to take you if you can't admit exactly where you're at. And you got to be honest. you got to be honest. If you're not honest, you're giving them the wrong coordinates. And you can't get to that next destination if you're putting in the wrong coordinates. Admit where you're at. Admit it. Another way to say this is you'll never be free if you can't admit you're not free. you got to admit it. It says in James 4, 6, he gives grace generously. As the scripture says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God. And then resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Come close to God. He'll come close to you. Another thing is you got to renounce the enemy. Repentance is for God. Renouncing is telling the enemy. In other words, it's not just God, I ask for your forgiveness and I repent and I turn away from those things. It's also you letting the devil know. And by the way, I'm done with you too. And you just renounce it. You let the devil know, I'm not going to keep going back to that thing. I'm done with it. And some of you might say, well, I did that, and then I've, I did it again. Resist the devil. Resist the devil. Resist the devil. Resist the devil. You keep declaring the truth. You keep standing on the word until peace and freedom hits your heart. Resist. Renounce the enemy. Matthew 18, 18 says, I tell, I tell you truly, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Tell the devil. Number three, declare the truth over your life. Declare the truth over your life. Look, I can't tell you. This has been a little bit of a difficult year for our family. And those that are close to us know the details of that. But there's just been some craziness. Honestly, just some false accusations and rumors. And just the devil just be so busy sometimes. And I'm not upset about it. I'm not worn out about it. And I'm not beat up about it. But the only reason why I'm not is because when those seasons hit, we got this out. And we found a scripture and we decided this is going to be our scripture for this season. So when we struggle with our kids and our kids aren't perfect and they have a lot of things they're working through. But when there's a specific issue, we find a specific verse and we declare it over our kids over and over and over and over again. Until it finds good soil in their hearts and begins to produce fruit. But you've got to stand on the word. You've got to stand and have the word in your heart and declare it over your life. Know the truth. Speak the truth. So here's the deal. I believe that today you can take a major step towards some freedom in your life. Some of you can be completely set free right now. And I think it really just depends on the openness of your heart to what God wants to do. But I think that at least the process can begin. 
But I think you have to come to a place of just admitting where you're at. Where you're at. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. The most important thing that we can address and that we do address every weekend, and that is this. You can't be set free by God if you don't have a relationship with God. So we have to start there. If there's any person in this room and you're sitting in your seat right now and you don't have full confidence that you have a relationship with your heavenly father through his son, Jesus. And what that means is simply this, you have to come to a place where you recognize that you are a sinner. You've made more mistakes than you can count and you need a savior. And you don't have to understand all the details, but it's in faith. It's you believing that Jesus came and he paid the price for your sin. He came and he paid the price for all those mistakes. And it's you just coming to a place of surrendering to him. It's you asking him for forgiveness. And then it's you surrendering your life to him as, as your Lord. And if you're here today and you haven't ever done that, you can't find freedom until he is your Lord. If you're here today and you've never done that, or maybe you just know you've got to come back to him. You need to repent. You need to rededicate your life to him. Nobody looking around, I'm not gonna embarrass you, but if that's you, every head bowed, if that's you, and you wanna be included in this prayer, I'm getting ready to pray, I want you to put your hand up right now across this room. As soon as I see your hand, you can put it down. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Got it, got it, yes. Anybody else? I need a relationship with Jesus. I need him to be my Lord. I'm not free and I wanna be, but I gotta make him my Lord first. Anybody else? Got it, yes. Anybody else? Got it. Yes, anybody else? Got it, bro. Yes, sir, thanks. God's gonna honor it. Look, you raising your hand doesn't get you saved. It's just you knowing that your brother in Christ is seeing this. I want you just to, to know and be affirmed. This is the best decision you'll ever make. Anybody else? I need to make Jesus my Lord and Savior. Anybody else in this room? Yes, ma'am, thank you. God, thanks. I got you, bro. I got you. Anybody else? I'm ready to surrender. I want to be free. Okay, every person that raised your hand, just talk to God. Just say something like this. Just say, Heavenly Father, I know that I'm a sinner and I can't save myself, but I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. And I ask for your forgiveness right now. I thank you that you didn't stay dead, that you, you actually rose from the grave. You defeated my sin. You defeated death in the grave. And I ask right now that you would come and have control of my life. I'll make you my Lord. I thank you, God, you don't just save me from my sin, but you give me purpose. You give me a life. And I wanna discover that. Help me to grow in an understanding of your word. Help me to grow in an understanding of relationship with you through prayer. Help me, Holy Spirit, to make decisions and to be led and guided by you. And help me to be connected to the body of Christ so I can be challenged and encouraged and supported. I give my life to you today. The word says that when even one person makes that decision that all of heaven rejoices. And all of heaven is rejoicing for you. But I also know that there are some people that are in this room that you are saved, but you are not free. God wants you to be free. There might be something that is binding you and controlling you, just a negative pattern in your life, controlling thoughts of fear or anxiety, or depression, maybe just hating yourself or having insecurities. It may be some strongholds because of things that were done to you, verbal abuse, physical abuse, spiritual abuse, sexual abuse. It could just be addiction towards substance. It could be habitual sins like pornography, jealousy, eating disorders, whatever it is, God wants you to be free. And I believe that you can confess those things to God sitting right there in your chair and God will forgive you. But the word also says you can find healing when you confess it to your brothers and sisters in Christ. There's something powerful about you just admitting that you're weak so that God's power can be made perfect because that's the word. 
And so I think that this can start this process, but I'd encourage you, we're gonna have our prayer team down here in just a little bit. We're gonna do another song, we're gonna worship God. And I'd encourage you as soon as that song starts that you make your way down to the aisle and you come down and find your freedom. You come down here and you get your freedom and you let your stronghold know who your savior is. I'd encourage you to do that. But I just wanna pray this over you and I want every person in this, in this building to repeat this prayer after me because you may not need it. You may be in a good place, but there may be somebody sitting next to you that desperately needs to declare this. I want everybody to repeat this after me. It's a simple prayer. Just say, God, will you forgive me of all my sin and release me, God, from every bondage in my life in the name of Jesus. Father God, as a pastor of this house, as a pastor of this church, I take authority over the devil and over Satan, and I push you back, devil. I declare that you have no place in any one of these people's lives. I declare that they are above and not beneath. They are a head and not a tail. They are called in purpose for great works for your kingdom. And I don't care what weapon you've tried to form against them. The, the word of God says that no weapon formed will ever prosper for those who have called on Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So you are in the midst of Christ's followers, which means you have no place here, you have no position. So I just tell you, go in the name of Jesus. And if you feel like the Holy Spirit is working on your heart, like I said, please come and let somebody confirm it in you, pray with you. Don't leave this place bound up. Choose to worship. Choose to worship. Choose to worship. Take your freedom. Father God, I thank you for those choices. I don't know you're not done yet. We thank you, God, that the work you've begun in us, you're faithful to bring it to completion. So continue to work. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give God some praise in this place.